Hi there. This is How to Choose, the show that helps you make better decisions and improve your judgment. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ken. And I'm Tessa. Welcome to season three. Yay! Yay! (laughs) So amazingly, this is our third season of How to Choose. And this time we're exploring the topic of thinking problems or biases that impede our decision making. Yes. In our first season, we talked about some common decision making challenges that people face. And in season two, we talked to a number of people who work in different professions to understand what decision-making looks like for them in their jobs. So in this season, we decided to focus on eight common thinking problems or biases that undermine our ability to judge well and make good decisions. We'll tell you some ways to identify if you're succumbing to these errors, and we'll give you some ideas of how you can reduce the impact of these biases. The key word here is reduce. It is almost impossible to fully avoid these mistakes. Daniel Kahneman won a Nobel Prize for his research into these curious biases, and he confessed that he is just as susceptible to these as the rest of us. It is possible to get better at recognizing these errors, but it will take some real self-discipline to train yourself to do something about them. That's right. And yet we often perceive ourselves as being quite rational, don't we? I asked a number of people the following question. On a scale of one to 10, How rational are you if one is completely irrational and 10 is represented by Mr. Spock or Sheldon Cooper? And this is what they said. (laughs) Uh, I think I would probably put myself at a seven, six or a seven. Personal, I would say probably more a six, depending on the situation. And then sometimes a three, irrational, if I have to deal with my little one. (laughs) In a professional context, I would like to think I'm around a seven. I think a solid eight. I think I would rate myself a seven or an eight. I think in everyday life, because of my job, I'm sort of forced to be quite rational, which I think helps. But I have my little moments in everyday life where I can be a bit more irrational, a bit more impulsive, do silly things. But I think generally I'm quite a rational person, I would say. Not to the level of Sheldon or Mr. Spock, probably a little bit less, but yeah, sort of in that high seven or eights. I'd put myself at about a six and a half. I'd say seven. I think I would give myself a seven or a six. So I think I'm probably maybe a six and a half on a good day and a seven and a half on a great day and on a bad day, probably more around the three or four mark if I haven't had a sleep. That's Um, awesome. I'd like to, no, I'd like to think I'm a rational person, but often emotions take over and govern things and uh, it's, it's good to be able to to pause and think and understand why you're feeling a certain way and um, why you might be feeling an emotion in a moment. And with three little people to look after, I uh, I have big feelings as much as they do, but uh, trying really hard to, to work and understand the reasons underpinning that and how I can make sense of things in a logical fashion. And when I make decisions to make sure that they're underpinned by evidence as much as possible. Very interesting, Ken. Some different thoughts there about how rational they were. I I just assumed everyone would give themselves an eight or a nine. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) And what would you give yourself? Uh, I mean, there's kind of, there's like the the humble answer and then (laughs) I think probably like a, probably a seven. 
Yeah, and that's kind of what I was thinking as well. It's it's very interesting. This might be helpful for us as a, as an introduction to season three, Tess, if we start with some theory. So when we talk about thinking problems, you'll often hear people use the term economics, specifically rational economic theory is a word term you'll hear a lot, and behavioral economics. Economists thought a lot about how we make decisions. Now, why is that? Well, because it underpinned behaviors that in turn shaped the economy. And here, I just want to do a little shout out, if that's okay. Is that okay, Tess? Go for it. A little shout out to a former colleague, Duncan, who listens from Belgium. And uh, Duncan taught me many things about macroeconomics, which was his area of expertise. So thank you, Duncan. Um, And I'll try not to misrepresent what I learned from him. But traditional economic theory is based on the assumption that humans are fundamentally rational beings and will make choices that make logical sense. So essentially, rational economics describes what people should do if they're behaving rationally. Put simply, this theory expects that we will make choices that maximize our profits and minimize our losses. I mean, naturally, that would make sense. However, I know that when we do observe how people actually behave, we see that often our thinking and decision-making is not rational. Indeed. And there are many examples that illustrate this. There's one that I particularly like, uh, and it's demonstrated in a game theory experiment that tested whether people would make logical choices that maximize their profits. The game was called Ultimatum. And in it, there are two players who have a chance to split a sum of $20. But all the power, well, a lot of the power rests with player one because it's player one who gets to decide whether they will share that money and how much they will share with player two. But player two gets to choose whether or not to accept the offer. And if they accept the offer, the money will be split according to player one's offer. They don't get to make a counter offer. If player two declines the offer that player one gave them, then both players leave with nothing. Now, according to rational economic theory, player two should accept whatever they're offered, right? If they don't accept it, they get nothing. They don't get to make a counteroffer. So the only rational thing is to just take whatever they're offered. However, people consistently rejected offers that were less than $3 and in doing so, received nothing. But not only that, we saw that player one on average, offered about $6. Very interesting. So player two was actually punishing player one for being unfair when they offered them piddly little amounts like one or two dollars, weren't they? Yeah. And I guess offering about six dollars was designed to reduce the chance of rejection. Yeah, that is probably a pretty logical uh, explanation for that. I mean, it's possible that it stemmed from a sense of altruism which is you know, that desire to help other people when there's no immediate benefit for us doing so. There's certainly been some people that have doubted that people will show altruism in these kind of contexts, and there's other experiments that will really suggest that we're not very altruistic. But who knows, maybe it was something else entirely. These people were being watched by the uh, people who were doing the test, and so maybe they didn't want to look like they were stingy in front of others. But regardless of the motivation, what it shows is that we are not purely motivated by traditional economic considerations. Another common illustration of our irrational decision-making is that we know that regular exercising and a healthy diet will improve our health, prolong our lifespan, and give us a better quality of life. 
But so many of us ignore that and indulge our laziness and appetite for large quantities of crappy food, of which I am also susceptible to. (laughs) Yeah. And I was joking with people at work today. I was looking for excuses not to go and exercise and run around the lake. And I think in the back of my mind, I knew that we were going to be doing some recordings. So I made sure that I, (laughs) I dragged myself out. But you're right. Yeah. And so the field of study that compares actual behavior with expected behavior is called behavioral economics. One of the founders of behavioral economics is Nobel laureate Richard Thaler, who wrote the fascinating book Nudge, which is something that you can find out more about if you go to our website and look at the resources tab. And we've got a list of a number of books about behavioral economics. But that's a book that really talks about how we can shape and influence the behavior of people in society. And it's fascinating. Really good read. Yeah, I can recommend that one as well. And there's been a huge amount written on cognitive biases in decision-making, including their impact on such diverse fields as audiology assessments, the issuing of development permits for wetlands, fire evacuations, criminal justice, change management, accident analysis, eye care professionals, medical professionals, investors, policymakers, teachers, accounting, parents, gamblers. Did I miss any, Ken? No, I think you probably got most of them. But look, if these biases actually impact all of us, it does make sense, doesn't it, that researchers are looking at their impact in every different work context that they can think of and every social context. But look, it's important to emphasize here that it's not that humans are unable to be rational. It's just that often we are not. And Daniel Kahneman and others explain this by the use of a model that says we have two systems. System one, thinking is fast and reactive but susceptible to errors, while system two thinking is slower and more deliberate. Yeah, there's also an explanation for this system one thinking, this apparent irrational side of human beings. Our brains have evolved to make quick decisions that give us short-term survival benefits. Now, one of many examples of this is that many animals will gorge themselves when they find a big store of food because there's no guarantee that there will be food tomorrow or next week. Our bodies can store energy, as we know, in the form of fat, and that helps us with survival in times of famine. But today, for us, most of us don't face the threat of famine and starvation. Instead, we overeat and then find that there's actually plenty of food. But we keep overeating day after day to the point sometimes that we'll become morbidly obese. We love sugary, high-energy foods, as we've mentioned already. They give us pleasure, and we crave, and we overindulge in them. Yes. I mean, the rational thing to do in an environment of plenty is to focus on the long-term payoff of healthy eating and ignore the short-term dopamine hit of the sugary treat. However, once again, we struggle to make rational decisions. Yeah, I have to confess, Tess, I discovered some incredible caramel slice last week at our local supermarket, and I can confirm that it was extremely difficult not to gorge myself and eat the whole box in one sitting. Yep. We've all been there. I mean, I've just eaten a bowl of ice cream, which is <laughs> not good for my long-term health, but no regrets. Uh, some people do try to overcompensate for this irrationality and pride themselves on being a professional skeptic. And they can't help but be contrary by nature, but this is actually not always helpful. No, that's right. We like to think that we're calm, we're clear-headed, we can respond rationally to the situation that we're about to face. But then something will just trigger an emotional response. We become frightened or we become upset by something. And then just certain areas of our brain will kick into action. And we can't really control it. 
you know, the hypothalamus, the amygdala become active and certain neurotransmitters will move through the brain. And when we're triggered, those areas of our brain that conduct the slow, careful, deliberate, rational thinking are inactive. And all of a sudden we're responding and reacting irrationally. So it's a challenge, isn't it? But what's your key takeaway then from today, Tess? For me, it's a reminder that it's a deliberate practice. We can't just rely on what we think is our good judgment, even if we think we're a strong 8 out of 10 for rationality. And we are all fallible and need to actively intercede to make the best decisions. Yeah, that's great. For me, it's the acknowledgement that I will never be as rational as Sheldon Cooper. And for anyone who's watched Big Bang Theory, you'll agree that that's not something we want to strive for anyway. I just need to become more aware of when my irrationality is blocking my ability to think clearly and make good decisions. And that's what this season is all about. So make sure you keep listening. Thanks for joining us for season three of How to Choose. Make sure you jump in and listen to episode two, where we'll be talking about confirmation bias. Stay tuned. Bye for now. 